Hello, this is Black Country Blokes chewing the fat. Listen, listen, listen. I've been hearing a lot lately about men don't talk. But in my experience, men do talk, just people aren't listening. So it's going to be me and a group of blokes discussing our struggles and victories through life. Warning, there may be some bad language, so apologies to all the moms, especially on my own. Let's get going. Listen, listen, listen. I've been here. This is the Black Country Blokes, tuna fat, but everything it is mental health, addiction, disability, and life in general. Here with me, Kev Dillon, and my partner in crime, Lee Cadman. And we're once again joined by Matt Smith from Bet No More UK. Now, Matt was on the other week talking about his gambling addiction, how he's sorted his life out and become a part of Bet No More UK. And he's had such a, a rich, rich story that uh, we asked him to come back on to talk about his other demons and how he's overcome them. So, once again, go to our archives and you'll find these episodes. It's only on two two episodes ago, Lee. Something like that. Two, three. I can tell you, two yeah. or three. Yeah. You'll find it. <laughs> if you look, you'll find it. <laughs> yeah, but it was such an interesting story speaking with Matt last time. And I, and I, I think we only scratched the surface, didn't we, Matt? So yeah. it's good to have you back here. Yeah, great to see you guys again. I'm really pleased you've invited me back. You know, I mean, I don't think I've ever been invited back on a podcast before. So, yeah, no, it's fantastic. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me again. And as we always start, like we do on the radio, I want to start with um, what we're grateful for. Because I always say this, but like we, we get bummed down with life and all this and all that. So I think every so often we need to, what I'll try and do daily now, is remind myself what I'm grateful for. It hasn't got to be nothing big. And why I'm grateful is for today. Yeah. Well, it's almost the end of the day. I'm absolutely <laughs> shattered. I've been at the club since 10 o'clock. But at least I've got somewhere to come. I've got I've, over today, I've met to so many great people. I've had a laugh, talked to people. I've seen a few faces I haven't seen in ages. So I'm grateful for the people I've got around me. That's more grateful for today. How about you, Lee? <laughs> With this brain fog, I'm, I'm trying to think of one now. Um, being healthy. Being, being, or getting healthier. So, so I suffered with COVID all last week, um, which knocked me about a bit. And, yeah, I'm glad that I've, I'm now testing clear and able to come back up here and do a podcast. Matt? I'm grateful for my peace of mind, to be honest, guys. You know, um, when, I was, when I was gambling and when I was drinking... I used to wake up every morning and my brain was just, you know, I mean, you talk about brain foggy, and I know we've just spoke about that before, but my brain was like, oh, anxiety, what have I done? How am I going to get out of this? And then today, and for the last seven and a half years, I wake up and my mind's just pe- just peaceful. You know what I mean? Look, I haven't got Radio Gaga going on in my brain anymore, you know? So I'm, I'll tell you, I'm really grateful for that today. What do, I mean, we're going to talk about this, and well, what better time than now? <laughs> but uh, was it like the um, you know, when you're hungover and it's that, what did I do? What did I say? Kind of thing. And was it, did I dream that or did I actually say it? I think I knew what I'd said most of the time, to be honest. That was the worst bit. I mean, I, I kind of envious in a way that people who blacked out from drinking because at least they couldn't remember what they'd done or said, but I could. And I never did black out. Um, and that morning, that 
that like kind of hang- anxiety that I used to wake up with. You know, we've all woken up with a hangover, I guess. Um, well, a lot of a lot of people who've been listening have woke up with a hangover. Um, and you wake up almost with that, not just the headache, but you wake up with the shakes, the sweats. But for me, it was like an added layer to that. It was, I, I tried to explain what anxiety is to somebody the other day. And it's this constant feeling of nervousness. You know, if you don't like going to the dentist, for example, mm. and that nervousness that comes up through you and you sat there like feeling like a bit shaky and jittery, mm. that's anxiety times 10. Do you know what I mean? And I used to wake up like that in the morning and used to think I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have spoken to that person that way. But after a while, it's almost like you don't even think about the way you spoke or the way you behaved. It just kind of gets becomes normal. Mm. And it's only after, and when I got sober, I realised how off that behaviour was. I wondered why sometimes people didn't want to talk to me. Mm. And now I know the answer. And I know the answer because I've seen other people who act like that today. And I think that was me one day. That was me one day, eight, nine, ten years ago. That was how I used to be. So it's a constant reminder. And it was, it all come about because you mentioned on the last show, talk sport and being around the world and um, all this. And did you find, I mean, so many of us, it's a rite of passage, isn't it, drinking? You know, we're, we're drinking, even pinching mum and dad's, or we're getting from the off-license, drinking down the park. Did you start young and then carry on? So when I was when I was about 16, I used to go up into Birmingham, up into Digbeth. You guys will know Digbeth, the yeah, coach yeah. station there. And there used to be a pub there opposite the coach station called the Old Wharf down one of the side streets. I don't know whether it's still there now, probably not. And they used to let us in when I was, you know, 15, 16, you know. And went in there, used to drink. And I remember the first time I went there was I was in the winter and got absolutely drunk and got home. And the next morning, woke up in a pool of sick. I'd been sick everywhere in my bed, up the walls, everywhere. My mum came in the room and said, have you been drinking? And I turned around and said, no. (laughs) It absolutely stank of it in there, do you know what I mean? And she said, you won't do that again, will you? And... That was that was the only conversation we really ever had about drinking. She doesn't drink, by the way, mm. uh, for no other reason apart from she just doesn't drink. Mm. She's not not got a problem with it. She doesn't say she doesn't like. She just doesn't drink. I've never known. I've known her once in forty three years to have a white wine spritzer, and that's it. You know, she's not a drinker. So it did start, I suppose, quite young. But then you know, some people they drink even you know at fourteen, fifteen now. I hear. So it started then. And I mean, I liked, I liked to go out and have a drink and socialise. Alcohol made me feel confident. 
you know, we talk about, like, you talk about that kind of, it gives me the Dutch courage, you know, people say it gives you some Dutch courage before you go out, makes you feel confident. And it gets rid of that anxiety, doesn't it, Matt? You know, if you're suffering from anxiety, I've had this myself, and I started drinking probably at 16, and you you do, you start drinking, you get that confidence, your your mental illness goes, doesn't it, while you're, while you're drunk, while you're drinking. It, it catches up with you 10 times worse the next morning, but it, for that period, you tend to, it tends to all go. Yeah, it's like you're almost delaying it, Lee. Hmm. It's that cycle because you're drinking to stop the anxiety, but 12 hours later when you wake up, it's back again. And all you're doing is pushing it, the anxiety along the road. I once heard once, it was like um, you've got different parts of your brain. You've got, the ad, you've got the parent and the child. The booze shushes the parent and the kid goes wild. It's like, that's why, you know, you get a traffic cone putting on your head and dance on the table and go, yeah, I'm free, I'm free, I'm led to be as much as I want. But the next day, the parents led to come back in, and it's the parents who's giving you a right good telling off in the morning. Yeah, yeah, completely. I mean, I remember, like, I used to think to myself, I'd go out, I'd have a few drinks, and then I'd be able to chat to a few girls, and, you know, I'd have some confidence. But the fact is, like, any of them relationships I ever entered into while I was, you know, drunk, uh, and then maybe seen them again at some point, they never lasted. Do you know what I mean? They were just, they were just kind of drinking relationships, which I've had, by the way, drinking relationships pretty much all my life, and not just on about romantic relationships. But you'd find people who you just go drinking with. I mean, the amount of people, lads, who I knew uh, when I was drinking, who I don't even talk to anymore, um, is unbelievable. Really, I think a lot of people can identify that, don't they? You go to the the pub. And you'll sit with them five, six, seven days a week. You haven't got anything in common apart from you drink. Yeah. So you'll talk to each other. You'll yep. go to the smoking shelter with each other because you both smoke, you both drink. And really, if you take the booze and the cigarettes out of the equation, you, you, you'll never talk again. No, I love that, Kev, how you put that because it's spot on. I mean, now in sobriety, and I know we're jumping around a little bit here, but now I'm in sobriety, my relationships with people are really meaningful. Mm. And I know if I want to pick up the phone and talk to somebody about something serious, I can. But when I was drinking, it's like you say, it was just somebody to have a, literally, that is all you had in common, was that you enjoyed a drink. And you might go and have a cigarette together. And that was it. I think it makes it acceptable as well, doesn't it? Having someone there who's drinking as much as you, keeping up with you, drinking every day like you. You know what I mean? It makes that that situation acceptable. Whereas if you had a relationship with someone who was, for want of a better word, normal, didn't drink every day, didn't go to the didn't sit in the pub hours and end drinking, it kind of shows up your weakness, doesn't it, that you are doing that? Well that's right, Lee, and there's nothing wrong with, by the way, going out to have a have a few drinks with your friends. There's nothing no. wrong with that at all. But I couldn't stop. That was my problem. And the people I was with most of the time couldn't stop. So it wasn't like, let's go for a couple of pints after work or let's meet up for a few pints on the weekend, on a Saturday night for a, you know, meet up at eight o'clock and be home by half ten. That never going to happen. I'd be out at four o'clock in the afternoon and I wouldn't get home till two o'clock in the morning. See, me, me and Kev have spoke about this before because we're, we're our own worst enemies for that, aren't we? Kind of... Um... One's one's not enough, and 
sorry, what's the saying, Gabe? You know, One's too many, a hundred's not enough. enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no stop. There's no stop button, mm. and that's what I didn't have. I didn't have a stop button. Um, I just kept going and kept going, you know. And um, uh, as I say, now I've realised that my relationships are so much more uh, meaningful to me than they've ever been in my life. You know, um, you know, I could pick up the phone to. 10, 15 different people tonight and say, I've got a problem with something. Can you help me? Whereas when I was drinking, I would never do that. I mean, I didn't, I, uh, one of my friends who I used to work with, um, I know just going quickly onto the gambling for one moment, he said to me, why did you never talk to me about what was going on for you? And I said, I didn't know that's what you were there for. Mm. Yeah. And I think that can, that can relate to so many people, can't it? Because, <laughs> Especially when you're on a session, you might either not want to bring down the mood or we get to the, the extreme first, you're, you're paralytic and you want to get really deep. And I, I used to, I, I, you know, sometimes that was the only way that I could talk. I would be absolutely sloshed. Then I'd talk because the next day you go, Kev, you were talking about some really deep stuff. I go, oh, don't, don't be daft. I'm, I, I was just drunk. But at the time, I was trying to communicate, but I, I, the Dutch courage to actually open up and talk about things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you know what, as well, Kev? You know people say the truth comes out when you're drunk. There's a saying, isn't there? The truth mm -hmm. comes out when you're drunk. I've said since I've been in sobriety, actually, the truth comes out when you're sober. Yeah, I, I think extremes come out when you're drunk. Yeah. Extreme happiness, extreme sudden. And sometimes... Someone could say something in the night or say something and in a fit of anger or a fit of extreme, you say something, but you don't necessarily mean it. It's just something that's been thrown around and you've thrown everything into that one thing. Yeah, and most of the time, absolutely meaningless. Meaningless. You've said it to win an argument. Yeah. You've said yeah. something to... A it's like if you're having a fight, you've thrown a big left hook to win. Yeah. you're thinking... I shouldn't have done, but and then you're drunk, you're stubborn, you grit your teeth, you stamp your thing, and you think, I, I didn't mean what I've just said and done, but I have said and done it. That's your ego taking over when that happens. That's your ego saying, I need to win this argument. I've got to win this argument. Look, I very rarely argue with anybody today. I don't think I've had a proper argument for years and years because, quite honestly, I don't care anymore. <laughs> And you know, sometimes this ain't worth it. This, you know, what I mean, it's like with your partners. You know, you. And I think we've all been there. You know, we've had too much, and you've, you've taken something. Whereas you're thinking, this, this is going to ruin our whole weekend. This is going to ruin tonight. It's going to ruin the weekend. Just shut up, <laughs> smile, yeah. agree, walk away. But you know, you're both there, and you're both butting heads. You, you cannot control another human being. You cannot change another pe person's mind unless they want to change their mind. Mm. So we can argue till we're blue in the face and we can say to them this, this and this. But they don't have to change their mind. So unless they do, you're never going to win that argument. Yeah, you're just disturbing your own comfort, aren't you? Absolutely, Lee. Yeah. It's never you're never going to win an argument with somebody who's not prepared to change their mind. So it's like somebody saying to me, Matt, 
you need to stop gambling and you need to stop drinking. But I'm not ready to do that. So until I've come to it within myself that I'm now ready to do that, then I can move forwards. And it's the same with an argument. Unless you've been convinced, otherwise, you're not going to change your mind. And you are just, if you're having an argument with that individual, you're just wasting your time. But saying that to a drunk person is very hard, isn't it? <laughs> I, was at, I was at a wedding at the weekend and uh, <laughs> like, I, there was actually a few people there who were sober as well. So it was actually quite cool in that sense. But wow, you know, wow. It was. Just, I, I just thought, what would I have been like if I was there and I was still drinking? Man, I would have been. I would have been a. I would have been a mess. I would have been a mess. And the line of what's funny becomes a very decent thing, doesn't it? You know, like when we're all in here, we're all having a banter. We can all have a laugh, but the line gets a bit more distorted after eight, nine, ten beers, doesn't it? You push the joke too far. Yeah. Yeah, you're not funny anymore, are you, you know, and um, I don't know, my drinking was a, was a pit of misery, really, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I'll just read you that on the, you know, up on the screen here, and Sean, I'm sorry, you know, it's, it's awful, you know, it's awful illness, alcoholism, you know, it's absolutely awful illness. Um, actually, a lot needs to be done as well for people who've been affected by alcohol and alcoholism, because it's not just, you know, did we talk about this? I think when we spoke about gambling chaps, you know, it's not just, you're not just affecting yourself. You're affecting everybody around you. That's addiction all over, isn't it? Where, you know, whether you're addicted to drugs, alcohol, gambling, it affects the, the community around you, doesn't it? Your loved ones and the people who do care for you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I affected lots and lots of people with my drinking and um, I have thankfully had opportunities over the years to make amends for that. Um, and I'm, I feel, um, you know, we talk about gratitude. I'm grateful for that today because it's given me some peace. Um, I, I was never a violent drunk. It wasn't like that. I didn't have that in me. I haven't got that in me, but I was very... I could get very argumentative, like you said, Kev. I could get into arguments about the most stupid, ridiculous things, you know. And and those arguments have actually caused friendship breakdowns. Mm. And I look back on them today and I think, what was I doing? What was the what was wrong with me to do that? Why was I starting them arguments over something that's just not important? So um yeah, there's a lot of people being affected and, you know, I, I'm, I think and I hope there will be more support available for those people because it's it's something dreadful to live with. I think there's not enough, and we, we talk about this quite a lot on the show, there's not enough help for people when they want to sort themselves out. I know there's Atlantic House in the road from us, but there's, I think detox should be a lot easier and a lot cheaper, if not free, Instead, uh, you know, instead of locking people up in prison, yeah, this should be available, yeah, uh, to, to help people get clean, yeah, sort of methods of. I always uh, getting clean is one thing; staying clean is the real, the real test, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I went to a treatment centre here, where I am in Bournemouth, uh, to the Providence Projects, and. Um, I think the problem what's happened over the years is there's been a lot of um, the funding from the government's been stripped out of those services. 
And actually what it does, it kicks the problem further down the line because people then end up in prison mm. and they end up in trouble rather than getting the help and stopping them getting into that place in the first, you know, you know, getting down even, there. Even if they don't go, if they don't go the prison route, it's the strain on the NHS because ultimately yep. if you keep drinking to an, a, to an excess, it's yep. going to ha- play havoc on your body. You're going to yep. end up with, with, with diabetes and you know there's a long list of things that alcohol and alcohol addiction causes so even if you don't get end up in prison it's definitely a strain on the nhs it's a strain on the nhs because as we've spoke before some people do argue that argument goes too far they get hit someone else gets hit you end up at you end up in hospital you know it's so it's the knock-on effects really wide oh oh it is in cost terms it's really wide and it can be there's ways of of lowering that cost just by getting people the correct help at the correct time. It is, Lee, but also the other problem you've got is a lot of people who go into recovery and into rehab, their abstinence from drinking or drugs or gambling, whatever it might be, is short-lived. The problem you've got now in this space I believe, is there's not enough aftercare services. Yes. So you go to rehab, you come out of rehab, and you're like, what do I do now? Mm-hmm. You're like, it's all, I went to rehab for six months, yeah? Six months. I did three months in in um, primary and secondary treatment, and then I did three months in, like, they called an aftercare program. So I just checked in at the rehab for a few hours every day, did a you know, a few group sessions. And during that time, I was doing AA meetings as well and and stuff. But you've got to create a structure in your life. So for some people, they may be going back to wife and children and all of those things. But for me, I was single, so I didn't have anything like that to go back to. So I had to either get a little job or just make sure that I was meeting somebody every day, even if it's just for a cup of coffee or just do something because... If I'm stuck in my own head for long enough, bam, I'm going back again. Mm-hmm. Like, we talk about people who've got support from family, wife, parents, brothers, sisters, children, whatever. What about the people who haven't? Because mm. there, there are, believe it or not, on this planet, people who are on their own and have got nobody. And we don't, we don't talk about them people enough. They're just, like, forgotten about. Like every time I hear about people talking about affected others, I think to myself, yeah, it's all right saying about relationship and the husband or the wife or this, that, and the other. But what about those people who are on their own? Mm. What do they do? I mean, that is a miserable existence. And their community might be the other addicts around them. That is their belonging. That's their group. You're You've hit the nail on the head, Kev. That's where they feel at home. And why do I want to give that up? And that's that's the sad thing, isn't it? If I better myself, I know this is going to kill me. But if I give this up, I'm going to lose them, and then I'm truly alone. Yeah. It's dreadful. But this is that old saying, the opposite of addiction is connection. Yes, 100%. And, and, And I believe if, once again... You could send me to prison for about 100 grand a year to water feed me, exercise me, all my bills. But if you funded gyms, 
churches, whatever, around that area, mm. how many lives could you affect? Because, you know, we're not all going to be into boxing. You're not going to be into whatever it is. But if you could fund these places where people could go for next to nothing, if not nothing, and keep them away from things where they have got other people around that love them, have got mentors, have got other things to distract them, and that is an excuse of I can't afford it, how many lives could we make better? Hmm. Lots and lots of lives. Lots of lives, you know. I mean, I see it in AA meetings sometimes. You know, I go I go to Alcoholics Anonymous. It's not for everybody. I understand that. You know, it's not for everybody sitting in the church hall. But for me, it works. And I see people who come in there and they've got nobody. Hmm. That's their connection. They, they come there and that's how they start to form a bond and meet people and but some people, they're so badly scarred from what's happened to them over the years that drinking has really caused them emotional pain. They don't want to make connection with anybody. They come and sit in that room, but they don't talk to anybody. I mean, it's just, you know, really, we take it for granted, don't we, that we've got family, you know, like us, we were all talking here just before, and weren't we, about going on holiday and seeing family and doing things. We take that for granted. But although, Matt, I remember back in the day, before the smoking ban in 2006, used to go to the pub and there'd be three old boys weren't sat with each other. They'd be sipping the mild, having the roll-ups, watching the telly. Even though they wouldn't necessarily be talking, they had each other in that room. Mm-hmm. You know, they'd, they'd, they'd make that point, last them for an hour and a half. And they'd mm-hmm. sit there smoking the roll-ups and, and it's, <laughs> all right, Bill, all right, Ted, all right. You know, but they knew. But when the smoking bank up and then they had to sit outside and the price of beer went up, yeah, I'm not saying it was a good thing they're sitting in the in a room smoking and drinking, but at least they had company. Yeah, yeah. Well, that goes the same. That's the same for a lot of people who gamble as well, particularly older people. You know, uh, you see them. They go in the bookmakers and they go in every day for the afternoon, and they they might just bet like two pound over the whole afternoon. You know, a pound or two, and that's their connection. You know, that's why I'm not I'm not anti gambling. Yeah, I've got a problem. I've got a problem with gambling, but I'm not anti it for some reasons because I do think it can help in communities. It does, you know. But it, it can be, uh, you know, vulnerability can change at any time, and that's when you have to be on top of it. But for some people, it's a connection. Yeah. You can imagine, like, I mean, I when I was spending time in bookmakers, I'd see guys in there who were in their seventies. The prop, you know, they may well have lost their wife, you know, a couple of years ago or whatever, and that's there somewhere for them to go. But we need them places. But then what I've realised, I've got older, like I could just go for a walk and with a friend, or I can go for a coffee with a friend. I don't need to sit in a bookmakers all day. You know, I was just on the phone to my friend earlier. Said, "What are you up to on Monday? Should we go for a walk out in the new forest? Yeah, that'd be great. Let's go out for a couple of hours." So today, my mind's changed. I don't need to go and sit in a bookmakers or in a pub today. Now, I still go to the pub, even though I've been sober for seven and a half years, but I go if I've got a reason to go. So I might go for a pub quiz with my friends, or I might go for a meal out with friends. It doesn't stop me from going because I'm in a safe and secure place in my mind today where I know I can walk in there and I'm shielded from drinking because my mind's in a place of serenity and safe and I'm at peace with myself. If I was in a bad frame of mind or I was anxious or something was going on for me, so I'm not coming to the pub tonight, guys. 
because I'd know that that's not the right thing for me to do. That's being socially aware, isn't it? That because I was going to ask you that was when you've you've had your six months in detox. How long was it until you could be around alcohol? Uh, I think when I came out of uh, so I, I actually what I'll say first of all, uh, Kev, is I didn't detox when I was in rehab. So a lot of people did, but I didn't need to because I'd already stopped drinking about a week before I went into treatment. Uh, I say stopped, I tapered down because it's very dangerous just to stop drinking if you've been drinking a lot. You know, you can't just stop. You have to taper it down, and that's why you rightly say a lot of people need to detox. Um, People don't realise that about the booze. A lot of people do. You think of, you know, your big heroines and your cocaines and all this. But if you just go cold turkey and you're drinking excessively, you know, excessively, it can kill you. You have seizures and you die, don't you, off the booze? Oh, 100%. So I think uh, I'm just trying to count very quickly. When I was in rehab, there was about 40 of us who went through at the same time. I think three of them have since died due to alcoholism. Well, do do take it easy. Oh, carry on. Sorry, bro. Yeah, uh, <laughs> see you, Lee. Uh, three of them have um, have died through alcoholism. Three people have killed themselves through alcoholism, either through drinking or committed suicide or or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. who I were actually who I was in in rehab with, not drugs, alcohol. And the sad thing about the booze is because it's everywhere, isn't it? And, you know, as Brits, there's always a reason to drink and at a funeral, at a wedding, at a Tuesday afternoon. There's always a reason, but it's it's hard to escape it, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, you said to me, so what happened when I came out uh, and when did I feel comfortable being around booze again? Well, I think it was about, I, I think... I came out after six months, and I think I went for a meal with my my cousin. Um, she took me out for she took me out for lunch, and we were in a restaurant. So, but it wasn't really like I didn't feel it was an intense situation around booze because we we actually went there for a meal. We were sat in a restaurant section, not in not near a bar or anything. So I didn't feel, and you know, my my cousin's fantastic person. She's a, a counselor for a living, so she's very switched on to it do you know what I mean and she you know she made sure I was safe and kept me my mind in a safe place um and then I probably didn't go to a pub for about I reckon probably a couple of years before I felt comfortable going into a pub again and then again the reason I went to a pub was because I went for a meal or went for a pub quiz or something you know I, I, I my my sobriety was kind of cemented at that stage and you have that, that classic line, and you only get this with alcohol, you don't get it with any other addiction that I'm aware of. Oh, go on, just have one. One more word. And yeah, I, no. you hear that all the time, don't you, with the booze? Yeah. And you think, yeah. well, you don't realise. And you probably you could probably get away with that first one, the first time. But then once you know you've had it, then you go, oh, I'm okay now. I can just have a dabble. Yeah. And before you know it, a dabble's become back into an addiction. I, I, I honestly, I dread to think waking up with hangover again after so long without it. I mean, that scares that scares the crap out of me for a start. <laughs> I don't even want to hang over ever again. Um, and yeah, I, I, I think you're right. You know, like I've had so many people say to me, um, "Oh, well, can't you ever? Can't you just have one?" 
So, well, no. That's, not even a point. Christmas. Not even a Christmas. No. Yeah. Not even <laughs> no. a Christmas. <laughs> no. You know, like most people, like I've been in London today. Most people would probably get home after a long day like that, a couple of hours each way on the train and been in meetings all day and sit down and have a glass of wine or something. I can't do that. But if I do that, I'm telling myself it's okay. Yeah, but that's kind of the culture that we're in, isn't it? That it's that it's you're kind of the odd one out if you don't have a drink. But I think the good thing is that that's changing as well because we also there's also evidence coming out now that uh, the younger generation, the us, that they're not going to the pub as often anymore, no. and they're not they're not going. You know, there's not there's a good thing, but there's pubs closing down left, right, and centre, and coffee shops are booming. So yeah. you know the 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 younger generation is choosing a healthier lifestyle than than what we were we were you know as as younger, um, which is good. Well, yeah, and we know that um, uh, the, well the coffee shops are booming on Kev's business by the sound of things today because he's been on the coffee. <laughs> 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 he, he won't buy a coffee. Oh, well. <laughs> jar, jar only, isn't it, Kev? Yeah, yeah. Only. Oh, you're not fussy, Kev. Well, fair play, you know. I mean, um, and I, I, honestly, I mean, yeah. There's a, there's here as well in Bournemouth now. There's um there's a, a bar which is a, a non-alcoholic bar. See, I find, you know, in this country, you know, when you go abroad and uh, I'm not going to drink, what pop, what pops out there? Because here it's uh, on tap, Coke, lemonade, squash, or like the J2Os, which are very expensive. Yeah. And I always remember years ago, me and my, my one of my mates, we'd gone out for a, a drink and he was driving. And I had, you know, the loopy cider, loopy cider, really strong factors, you know. And he had lemonade. My alcoholic drink was cheaper than his lemonade. Something wrong there. And I thought this this is wrong. And like if you like when you go to America, especially, the designated driver will have their non-alcoholic drinks for free. Over here, you think I'm spending just as much to drink pop. And that, that's gotta change. And as you say, my my friends are recovering uh well, he's a uh, recovering alcoholic. And he likes to get a non-alcoholic beer. Yeah. And he pours it into a glass. So he still feels like he's part of the gang, essentially. Yeah. But his, because it comes in the little bottle, so he has to buy two non-alcoholic beers to right. make a point, and it costs more than a point. And that's got to, excuse me, that's got to change. Yeah, something wrong there, isn't there? And there's not enough options for those mocktails, those kind of things. So people can... They they feel like they're still doing it. Mm. You're right there because sorry, sorry, Lee. No, carry on, Lee. Is that kind of done on purpose, though, Matt? Because if I was um, if I was a, if I had been through alcoholism and come out the other side, would I really? Would it be if I was then getting a a a pint glass and putting two non-alcoholic with and just to kind of be with everyone else? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Because that. The feel of that could then lead to a point. Ah, no, yeah, carry on, Matthew. I've got experience. That's a good point. That is, and and I'm not gonna like I'm not judging that because for me, I don't do that. That's not that's not for me. I don't do non-alcoholic drinks, but for I know people who do, and they're okay with that. But I do some things like I will make a spaghetti bolognese, and I'll put wine in it. I'll put you know red wine in it and burn the alcohol off, and I don't have a problem with that. Because I like cooking, I enjoy cooking, and if I feel that the recipe really warrants putting the alcohol in there, I will do it. Mm. 
I won't do it for the hell of it. And I wouldn't be over the Christmas pudding pouring a ton of brandy over it instead of <laughs> flames. But if it's like a risotto or or a spaghetti bolognese, and I think, okay, a drop of wine in here is going to be okay. I'll get some cheap and nasty cooking wine, like, believe me. <laughs> like, you wouldn't want to drink it anyway. <laughs> but I know some people who are in recovery, they will not go anywhere near that. They're like, no, 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 that definitely not. I can't have that around. That would trigger me. So it's horses for courses, you know? Well, that's that's very much me. I, like, I don't drink. I, I wouldn't class myself by any stretch but as um, a recovering alcoholic, but I don't drink at the moment. But I will avoid it. Like, like I'll go into a pub and have a soft drink, no problem. But I won't. I wouldn't put. I wouldn't put anything into um, into cooking or anything. I totally have kind of avoid that. And I wouldn't drink non-alcoholic because, for me, it's kind of a calorie thing as well. I think. Well, if if I'm if I'm training, I'm being healthy. I don't know what calories in one of them non-alcoholics, but I can't imagine it's great. Um, so I prefer just to have. Um, a, a soft drink or a soda water and lime just for that in that aspect yeah. so i'm the kind of like that side of it like just just avoid it if you're going to if you're not going to drink then avoid it completely is the way i have to deal with it myself yeah and, and by the way when i said like back cooking with but like i can't remember the last time i did it that's how long yeah. ago it was like literally i think probably three years ago maybe but i have done it you know yeah. and i've been okay with it but as I say, really, it's if it, if I really feel it warrants it. Hmm. Well, you've got to go what makes you comfortable in life, haven't you? Yeah. And we all have our different methods, our different things to. And as we keep saying, we're not saying drink is bad. We're not saying no. it, it's bad for certain people. And you've got to know your poison, haven't you? If you're nasty when you drink whiskey, don't drink whiskey. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? That's, yeah. that's it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, simple as that. And what a lot, you know, you're right there because vulnerability can change at any time. Mm. So you might be going through a breakup, you might be suffering from financial difficulties, you might have some health problems, which causes your mind to yeah, make you vulnerable. Mm. And that is the point where you might start drinking. And that is the point that I would always say is actually that's the point where you need help. So rather than saying, right, I'm going to go and drink, you think, you know what, I'm going through this hassle at the moment. I've got a lot going on. I need to go and talk to somebody rather than go down the other road and I need to go and drink because then you'll end up going for two problems. You'll end up going for the drink and the problem that's got you there in the first place. Drinking for me, alcohol is a symptom of me of my illness of what's a problem for me like you've got so, there's so many different things there's so many gray areas when we talk about alcoholism you can talk about problem drinkers you know you can talk about so many different things i identify myself as an alcoholic in the rooms of alcoholics anonymous outside the rooms of alcoholics anonymous i don't identify myself as an alcoholic because that's just something that I identify myself in that room as. But outside, I don't feel the need to. I just, if people say to me, why don't you drink? I just say it doesn't suit me anymore. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Because some people, they want to get a bit of identity in your crowds. Some people need that I am this and you blame it. I've got to be careful what I say because I don't mean it to be offensive. But it's like when it's, I had no power. I was powerless to the alcoholism. Yeah. Instead of owning it and saying, yes, I did terrible things, but 
I am more than that. Yeah. Explain that right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, you're right. What you said about the power, um, you know, powerless over alcohol. You know, that's what that's what people talk about. They say they're powerless, but I don't believe that. I believe you are. You do have the power once you stop doing it. You yeah. retain the power. You regain the power. Sorry, you have the power back in your life again. So I think we've always got the power in us. It's just when we when we choose to use it. And what you said on the last show, and I thought it was good, because people say addiction is a disease, and you said I don't believe that. We both agreed. We saying we didn't. We personally, I know some people do, said it wasn't a disease. It was disease of yes. himself or of a circumstance. And I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, disease. Yeah, we're not at ease who, with who we are. And that's why I always say when I'm talking about gambling and drinking that they are just a symptom of what's going on for me. The problem is me, and that's what I need to fix. So that's what I was talking about, them vulnerabilities. So when those vulnerabilities change and we have any of those difficulties in our life, that's when I used to turn to those things because that was my way out. That was my painkiller, if you like. But actually what I've realised in sobriety is that when I'm having difficult periods in my life, I don't need to do that. I just need to pick up the phone and chat to somebody. I know it sounds simple, and it isn't always that simple, but with practice, it does get easier. But I think our minds can deceive us to, not that the problem is uh, a lesser a problem, but you can you can build, you know, make it a lot worse than it actually is to the point that you're scared of picking up the phone to someone, and it's it's almost, it's easier just to go and have a drink and forget about it. Yeah, and I don't even think when we're drinking we forget about it. We just put it on the back burner. Yeah, and what we were saying earlier about like we drink to stop us from being anxious. I personally know for myself, I will drink, stop myself from being anxious. But if I have too many, then I'm clocking everyone and everything because I've drowned myself into that bit where I'm too drunk. I know I can't handle myself, and then I start getting worried about if something does happen now. Was you like that or was you just absolutely fearless then? No, no, I was full of fear. I was yeah. full of fear, Kev. Yeah, yeah. I was, I think, I knew... wouldn't, you full, wouldn't you full of fear? That's when you make silly mistakes. Yeah, I knew before I even went out where it was going. Mm. The, before I even picked up a drink, I knew this is going to end badly. Mm. And then as soon as you start, it's like a packet of Pringles. Mm. Once you pop, that's it. I couldn't stop then. I was off, bam. And, um, yeah, I mean, all the different behaviours that go with drinking. I talked about the anxiety. What didn't haven't talked about yet is the depression. Because, mm. like, alcohol's a, a, a downer, you know. God, that made me feel depressed. That made me feel really low. Uh, I was never suicidal, guys, but I had some pretty dark thoughts sometimes. I went into some dark places in my mind. And um, funny, when I'm not drinking, I don't go into those dark places. Um, and not everybody does because, you know, as we've just said, like, I've got off the train tonight from London. There's a pub opposite the railway station. I've no doubt a few people have probably popped over the road and had a quick drink on the way home. And, that, and that's fine. But I couldn't do that. I've been there now. I'd be miss I wouldn't be here with talking to you guys. I'd have missed it. I'd have missed the appointment. 
I wouldn't I wouldn't reply to messages. I, I'm not reliable. When I'm drinking, I'm not, I don't do anything. I'm not reliable. I don't speak to my family. I'm just doing my own thing, and that's it. And and li literally wallowing in my own misery, wallowing in it because I'm not present. Sean's brought up a good point here that um, w within regards to to drinking, that some people do it to actually help them sleep, don't they? And um, mm. and and, I, and people do, but I think what I found with with drinking, you you'll you'll you maybe sleep better, but you don't get better sleep. You know, you still wake up in the morning feeling absolutely either a hangover or tired, lethargic. You know, so you. you it's a it's a different kind of sleep isn't it when you've when you've had a drink um and it's not a refreshing sleep you don't feel good about it once you're up i feel like it knocks me out but then once the booze has come out my system i wake up it's like my, my, my brain's reactivating this normally either oh what have i done or my mind's just alert again yeah my sleep was never good when i was drinking i used to have the worst sleep ever i used to wake up like if I went to bed at, let's say, one in the morning, I would wake up probably five, six times in the night, on, off, on, off, on, off. Uh, you know, like you just described, Lee, that like what you said was really good about that. You might you might sleep well because you're knocked out, but it's not good quality sleep. I can honestly say to you, I have never slept better since I got into sobriety. I have never slept better. Like I literally, I go to bed about... 11, half 11 most nights, I will, go, I will sleep through till half seven in the morning and not wake up once. I think some of it is as well because you now deal with, with the the problems that were leading you to alcohol, don't you? So you'll pick up the phone now and talk about what's, what's happened or what's, what's about to happen instead of just going and, and having a drink and trying to forget about it. You actually deal with the, the, the issues that are happening in your life. Yeah, completely. Like I, I've done... Like today, for example, I've done everything I needed to do. I got up, I shown up, I went to work, I replied to emails, I did my job to the best of my ability. I rang my 80-year-old mother on the phone on the way home to say, I'm back from London for the day. How are you? Everything okay? Yep, great. I go to bed, I put my head on the pillow tonight knowing I've kept my side of the street clean mm. and not waking up tomorrow morning thinking, Shit, I didn't do that. I was supposed to be on with Lee and Kev. I was supposed to phone my mum. I was supposed to do this. I was supposed to phone my sister. I was supposed to do, you know what I mean? And did nothing. And that's like what sobriety's given me is the gift to keep on top of all this stuff. Like I'm living life today on life's terms. But when I was drinking, I was living life on Matt's terms. And I'm not today. I'm doing it on life's terms. Whatever's thrown at me, I'm just taking it as it comes. And I'm living in the moment i'm present i'm with my colleagues today in london i'm sat with them at a table around the table talking listening hearing what they're saying to me rather than just going yeah 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 yeah," thinking i can't wait to get out of here i've had enough of you guys i can't wait to get to the pub i'm actually engaging and i'm living in that moment of being with them and and i'm thinking about that like i left today and i missed one of my colleagues because i had to run to get the train and I text him to say, I'm sorry I didn't say goodbye to you. Because that's how I think today. I don't think, like, it's not all about Matt today. Because he might have thought, well, where's he gone and not said goodbye? Mm. It's not about Matt today. It's about, for me, it's about being a good human being and doing the right things. And people who are listening might think, well, what's that got to do with alcohol? 
It's got everything to do with alcohol. Because when I was drinking, I was never doing them things. I couldn't live life on the terms that it had given me. And I think that, once again, that's a lot of addiction, isn't it? When you're just thinking about your next fix, who can I borrow, steal, whatever off, just to get it? That's when the problem's there, isn't it? The, Kev, the amount of people that have said to me since I've been in sobriety, who've said, I'm proud to have you as a friend today. And yeah. they knew me. Some of them knew me when I was drinking and gambling and I put them through hell. And then they're sending me them kind of messages and I'm proud that you are my friend. Mm. I'm proud to see where you have come today. And I'm like, whoa, what? Do you know what I mean? This is powerful stuff. And, you know, when I, when I, when I got into recovery, people said to me, if you, and I mean, this is a bit of an AA thing, but people said, if you, if you get into sobriety, um, you will have a life beyond your wildest dreams. And I was, you know, I used to say, are you kidding me? All I've got to do is I've got to stop drinking. I'm going to have this brilliant, wonderful life. You know what, guys? It's true. I wouldn't go as far as that's beyond my wildest dreams. I don't live in a... A mansion on the clifftops but i have a nice house i have peace of mind i have my family around me i have a good job i turn up i show up and actually it's a decent life yeah. but i couldn't believe that then i thought no it can't be it can't be it can't be all i've got to do is stop drinking he's going to give me that it can't be true and it was true have you heard stories of that before those people have got sober and said that their life has just dramatically changed. I think Andy Plant's kind of is true to that as well, isn't he? We've mm. had, we've had another um, a lad on called Andrew Plant, and he 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 had uh, drug and alcohol issues, yeah. and he went to, he go still goes to AA as far, as far as we're aware. And um, Narcotics Anonymous, yeah, well. that's it, Narcotics Anonymous. But you you could you can see the change in him, even from a year ago. You can kind of see that change, and because he's regularly. It's a, it's a new, you know, it's a newish thing, isn't it? There, it's for a year and a half, probably two years, maybe. And you can, you from when we originally interviewed him, he was one of our first guests on here. And then we interviewed him, was it the this start year? of this year? Yeah, 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 the start of this year, we re-interviewed him. So, say a two-year period has has elapsed, and and the difference in him is absolutely unreal. You know, he was on his journey. That when we originally interviewed him, he was kind of step, stepping off. And going on that journey of of being sober and and trying to get rid of his addictions, and then two years later, you can the the difference in him is absolutely amazing, and and how much happier is he is with life and his own life. It's in in his is now accountable for his for his own actions, yeah. Yeah. which um which is a big thing. Does he realizes now that what he what he did and what he did when he's drunk, what he, when he did when he's when he was high on drugs. He's accountable for those actions, and I think that's a big thing for him. Yeah, you know what, as well, I think I mentioned last time, you know, part of what we do at work, uh, one of the programmes we have is called Peer Aid, and it's where you've got lived experience people who've been on that journey helping others. Mm -hmm. And honestly think there needs to be more of that in the alcohol space as well, because AA is not for everyone. 
Like people, some people that don't want to sit in a church hall or a community centre on a Thursday night at seven o'clock. I get that. I completely get that. They don't like the language. They don't feel it suits them. They feel there's a stigma attached. I completely get that. So there does need to be more services available because we can't just have like, we can't just have AA. Mm. We've got to have other stuff out there that, because like we're all human beings at the end of the day, like we don't like certain words, we don't like language, things don't work for us sometimes, so we need to try something else. So I think we need more of that stuff now. You know, you were saying earlier about treatment centres, you know, and we were talking about them not getting much funding now and it's more difficult. So we do need more stuff because there's a lot of people out there need help, and particularly now coming out of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I think we are, I don't personally think lads that we've even got into the mental health wave that's coming yet no in so many different ways for the the nhs workers who've been there for the people who've lost people the people who've been locked in Mm. the people if you are a drinker which i am you know you find yourself drinking more because you were just in the house and it was just a way of doing it or people do more drugs or whatever it it, is We fell on it, didn't we? We fell on, and then I think with all the bills cool. now go, going up, and as we said on the last one, even if you haven't got barely two two coins rubbed together, you'll spend those last two on your habit, won't you? That won't probably go on your gas, and electricity, or your food. You'll always fund your habit before you warm the house, and I think over the next couple of months we're really going to see it hit the fan. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Those things are painkillers to a lot of people. Mm. They're to numb pain. And there's a lot of people at the moment going through a lot of pain. When we're when we're getting into a situation where you're choosing between feeding yourself or heating yourself, mm. I mean, thank thank God we've got summer coming. Thank God we we're yeah. kicking the problem down the road for a little for for you know five or six months. Because I dread to think if this happened in November, what people were going to do. At least we've got a bit of time to kind of take stock and say, right, okay, this is what we're going to do. And this is how we're going to... I think what they do in America, you know, um, I read something the other day around this stuff, that more people who can... um, People who can afford to pay more, they can donate their some of their electric to somebody else, if you know what I mean, so that it helps them. And I think we can be doing stuff like that, you know, like I can afford to put an extra pound in a week and and, pa- and help somebody else who perhaps an extra four or five pound a month if two or three people did that, that's going to really help somebody's bill. So perhaps we need to work more as a community. You know, like what we did during COVID where I lived, there was so much stuff going on, so many volunteers helping and doing stuff. We've got to, we've got to pull together again as a community and as a country and, and, Take the politicians out of it. If they're not going to help, then see you later. Help We're going to do this by ourselves. Help each other, yeah. But isn't it terrible? Because when someone's truly desperate, that's when they're dangerous. And when you're thinking, but well, I can't work any more hours. I can't bring any more money in. And we're still cold. We're still hungry. That's when people will look for alternative methods of making money. And that's when anarchy breaks out, you know what I mean? And I feel sorry for them people thinking... I'm a good, hard-working person who's doing my best. Yeah, I'm still going to food, um, food, um, what they called food, food, ki- banks. food, food banks. banks, and I'm having to. And you're thinking, what else can I do? 
and I'd say that's right. You're right, Kev. What more? If you're doing every single hour that's available to you at work, your boss isn't giving you a pay rise. Where the money don't just come from nowhere. Some mm. people we talked earlier, they've got no family, so they've got no family to, to to lean on for extra money. They're using food banks. Look, we shouldn't even be using food banks in this country. We shouldn't even be at the point of doing that. Do you know what I mean? I believe it was Nelson Mandela who said. Poverty is a man-made, uh, man-made problem that'll probably never get solved. You know, if you think that if one rich person, one of these very, very rich people, mm. could solve could solve world poverty, one person could solve everything. Mm. Yet it'll never happen. And you know what? Typically, it's not them people who are solving it. It's the people who've got not much who are actually doing it. Like when I've done jobs in the past, yeah. And I say you got we've gone to somebody's house or something, and you've done a job there. The people who give you the tips are the ones who've got nothing. The ones who've got loads of money, they never give you a tip. Well, it's it's we've always said that, like you know, if you go into a council estate or you go somewhere, they will share. They'll give you half the sandwich because they know it feels to be hungry. Yeah, so they'll share it with you. Hundred percent. But other people will be well. No, that's mine. What have you done? I don't care if you're hungry. You should have brought sandwiches. But someone yeah. who's been hungry knows how it feels, and they'll share their little bit. Good, good point that. And I just want to mention about that. You've reminded me. So when I was drinking, I hardly ever used to eat. Mm. I hardly ever used to look after myself health-wise and eat properly. Um, I just wanted to drink. That was it. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't even have a sandwich or nothing. You know what I mean? I'd want to spend every bit of money I had on that and that would be it you know and um today I I like eating a bit too much (laughs) (laughs) I've gone the other way now I mean when I stopped drinking by the way I lost two stone Hmm. and not through like I know you were talking earlier about getting healthy and exercise and all that I didn't have to do a thing mate it just went went. two stone dropped through not drinking um, I've put on about another stone through COVID and eating, not eating properly. And I'm trying to do something about that again now. And not because I'm really overweight, but because I feel better when I'm at a lower weight, more energy, more productivity. Um, so I, I do need to shift probably seven or eight pounds. Uh, and I will get round to that at some point <laughs> <laughs> amongst everything else. But that's all where my mental health still suffers is things like that, like procrastination. Like I kick it down the road. Oh, no, I don't need to do that today. No, I'm not going to do that today. But I know if I do it, those things make me feel better. Mm. When I when I was, um, as well, when I was drinking, and you said what you said about, um, like, you go, you, you know, if you go to a council house, they'll give you a sandwich because they've been there and done that. And actually, you know, like, an old um, kind of acquaintance of mine put me up for a little while. Now he had nothing but put me up because he could see the, 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 the problem that I was in. And I never forgot that because those are the people who, who get it. They've walked in your shoes. Do you know what I mean? They understand. But that's why we need more people out there with lived experience, isn't it? To come so it's not an after-school special. You go, I know what you've been through. And you can identify, even if they haven't had the exact experience, 
if they know what pain feels like, they can talk about it and they can maybe use words that resonate with you. I, I think sometimes as well, chaps, I think people, when you when they ask you what does that pain feel like, that emotional pain, and even when you explain to them what it feels like, they can't quite get it if they've not been there themselves. They don't quite understand what that what you're trying to say, what it means. Mm. Like I've tried many a time when people have said to me, so tell me what that emotional pain felt like. And it's it's hard to describe, but for me it was like this emptiness. It was like this empty space where nothing existed. Mm. It was just like a black hole almost. Um, and that constant feeling of dread, constant feeling of anxiety, constant feeling of depression, those were the things that were there that were filling this, this kind of black hole. And then anything else, the things that I used to enjoy, hobbies, going out for dinner, doing nice things, they were like outside of this hole but the hole was just filled with all those dark things. And that's what I would say, describe it as. And what happened was I woke up one morning and I decided I didn't want to live my life like this anymore. And those things started to disappear and the good things started to come back in again. And what, can you remember the exact moment that you just thought no more? Yeah, pretty much. So I was sleeping uh, on the floor on a camp bed, you know, then put me up camp beds yeah. that you have in a tent or something. Yeah, I was sleeping on one of them. Uh, 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 I say a friend's house. I hadn't seen this friend for like 20 years. I literally just contacted him and said, I need a bed for the night. And then I ended up staying there for quite a couple of months. And I just woke up one morning, opened my eyes. I probably hadn't had a shower for about four or five days. I hadn't looked after myself. I was I was a mess. I was a mess, guys. I had no money. I hadn't spoke to my family for a long time. I had no friends, really. This was an acquaintance, really, where I was staying. There was lots of other stuff going on there. It was chaotic. I was like, this, ain't, this, this is not for me. I've had enough. I don't want to live like this anymore. And what I can describe it as was like an extended moment of clarity. Because quite what happened quite a lot of times was I'd have these fleeting thoughts of something's wrong here. I need to change my life. But they'd go very quickly and I'd start drinking again or gambling again. Literally, it was like for 10 minutes and then it'd go. This was a long, for a few hours, this was going on. And that's when I made a phone call to the guy uh, to to Paul who runs the Providence Project in Bournemouth, who I'd met a few years previous through my work at Talk Sport. I'd met Paul. Paul came up to London to see me while I was still working there because he knew of my issues. And I said, Paul, I need help. Do you remember me? And he said, Yeah, get down to Bournemouth. I'll help you. That was it. I phoned up one of my mates. Well, I say one of my mates. <laughs> I didn't really have any mates. They're all gone. But one friend of mine, John, stopped by me, and I said, John. I didn't phone him, sorry, I emailed him. I said, John, I know I've fed you so much bull over the years, but I'm going to rehab and I need some help with the train fare. And I never heard from him all day. And I was thinking, how am I going to get down there? How am I going to get 
I can't get all the way to Bournemouth from from the Midlands without you know getting arrested for train dodging, fare dodging, or something. It's not going to happen. You know what I mean? And eventually, about seven o'clock that night, he said, "I'm sorry, I've only just got back to you, but I needed to check that you were going to go." So I had to ring them and I only just got a phone call back to say, yes, that you were, you had been offered a place and I've booked your train ticket. Here it is. Good luck. (laughs) You know, and John and I are like, well, John's like a brother to me, you know what I mean? And we're like, to this day, we're really close, you know, because he was there for me when I needed somebody, you know what I mean? I just needed that little opportunity. Somebody say, here's the train fare. I booked the ticket. You can go. And it was like the stars aligned because I'd been offered this place to go to rehab. They gave me um, a charitable place, by the way, to rehab. So because I'd met Paul previously, I was I was very lucky that I got this place because, you know, not people don't get these places. They pay a lot of money to go to treatment. And Paul gave me this place. John paid for my train ticket. Seven and a half years later, I'm sat here talking to you guys. That powerful stuff. What, what would you say to someone who's now having that moment of clarity? There's help out there. You just need to find it. You need to find what help you want. If you don't think AA is for you, go online. Have a look for help. There's lots of, like, i tell you what there is now, guys. There is a huge sober community online. Huge. You go on Instagram, there are... Thousands of sober people on there, like all putting out different messages, encouraging each other, building communities. We talk a lot about social media and its detriment to our mental health, but I see the stuff that people are pushing out on there and I'm thinking, wow, wow, there's a real powerful community on there. Now, maybe it's not always for the right reasons, because I'm going to be honest with you guys. I don't like it when they talk about sober coaching and join me and I'll coach you to get sober. No, no, no. There's a free way to get sober. You don't be going paying anybody to get sober. You, there's plenty of support networks and communities out there to be able to get yourself sober. So find your home. Just because somebody says to you, no, the only way is AA, nonsense. There's lots of different ways, lots of different help. When you've got that extended moment of clarity, you can then find it. Phone the Samaritans, get online get signposted, and then go and meet other people. Now, that is difficult. If you've been in your house drinking yourself, you know, uh, for, for, for months and years, you might be frightened, you might be scared. I understand I was frightened and I was scared. But the people in the room that I went to had all been the same place as me. And the people that I spoke to on the phone had been there. They understood and I walked in and they embraced me with open arms and said, you're home now. This is your place. This is where we are going to help you. And all my, a lot of my friends are sober now. And by the way, it's not just like you don't just walk into a church hall and start talking about stuff. We go out to dinner together. We socialize together. We do, you know, we, a few of us, we went up to UFC in London a few weeks ago. You know, it's like just because you go to AA doesn't mean you can't have a social life anymore. Do you know what I mean? Like that you've all become boring all of a sudden. It's not at all. But there is stuff out there and you've got to find what works for you. Yeah. Well, Matt, 
is there anything before we uh, before we go? Is there anything else you'd like to say? Just want to say thanks for having me again, guys. You know, I've just had a like, you know, it's just really good talking to you and like just just having a conversation about this stuff. Just you know, I mean, I love it. I love to. I could talk about this stuff all day long. You know, I mean, really could because. I mean, you know, just if one person gets a message from what we've spoken about tonight, it's done its job. All it takes. And by the way, that one person might not act upon that message for five, six years. But if we've planted a seed tonight and it helps them in the future, then we've done that. Uh, we've done our job. We've carried a message to somebody to say, you know what? There is help. What you guys are doing is brilliant talking about this stuff because talking about it normalizes it. And we've got to normalise it. And I heard somebody say earlier online, we shouldn't say mental health anymore. We should say mind health or something. And I was thinking, what? You're making the problem worse because you want to change the words? You want to change the words because you don't like the words? Why not just accept that that is how we describe ourselves and make it normal? Make talking about mental health sound normal? But if we keep changing it to fit people's agenda all the time because they don't like it, then we're never going to normalise it. We're just creating more and more stigmas all the time. I've always been of the thinking that when we're talking about addiction, we're talking about mental health, you use a wide range of language because the more language you use, the more people you can help. But you know don't what? say we're going to change it. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, I've spoke about this before on there and the, the difference between committing suicide and, and completing suicide. And it, it knocks me, to be honest, that, that, they, that they're trying to force that change on you. Because basically, you're just shutting down a conversation straight away. You know, you, you're making people feel like they're saying something that is wrong, when actually it's been said that way for years. And people don't, there's, there's, the, people think it's because... Um, it was a crime to commit suicide at one point, so that's why you now use it. But actually, they don't actually know whether that's fact or not. It's just a guess. Yeah. It could be that it, actually it's just because you're committing to something. So, yeah, it, I feel the same. I think it's the same with racism. People won't talk about racism because of the word. And you've got to get rid of the stigma around the words and the way you say it and stop trying to change it because you're just stopping a conversation dead because people don't want to be wrong. Yeah, I agree with you. When you're absolutely right when you said they're just trying to shut down a conversation because they don't like that term or they don't like those words. Doesn't mean we shouldn't use those words anymore because it might mean something to somebody. Mm. And you shouldn't be shutting somebody down if it means something to them, because it doesn't mean that their story is any worse than yours. Yeah. Like, you know. The only way we will learn is by having conversations, isn't it? The only way that things will change is by talking about it. Yeah. It's seeing what has happened for right, for wrong. And if it's only my fault if I'm ignorant, if I'm not willing to learn. But if I'm happy to live in ignorance, then how am I ever going to get better? Yeah, you're right there, Kevin. I often say to people, sometimes I think I live in a little bit of a bubble sometimes and I live in a little bit of a echo chamber where I'm hearing the same things again and again. Now, I know for me personally, that's not a good thing. I need to go somewhere else and I need to listen to other people's opinions and open my mind up a little bit more so that I can respect their opinions 
Because when I don't, and I just listen to this echo chamber sometimes, I think I'm just hearing the same stuff. And I can't see anybody else's point of view. So I have to go outside of that echo chamber from time to time and say, I'm listening to what you're saying today because I want to expand my knowledge and open up and take more in. I already know what I know. The only way I'm going to learn is by listening to you. Yeah, 100%. And whether, and whether I agree with it, disagree with it, but that is another perspective that I haven't possibly heard yet. Yep, 100%. Well, we've got on our radio show this week, we've got the wonderful Kerry Davis, who's coming on to talk about more Matt Scott's please. And it's always a pleasure having her on. So please, that's uh, UK time, 7 till 9 on our radio show, Black Country Extra. So, Matt, have you got any quotes or sayings that have helped you get through life? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> can I say I've got brain fog at this point? You know, Liam, <laughs> we were talking about this earlier. <laughs> so you got COVID brain fog because I think you asked me this last time and I should have wrote it down remembering that you're going to ask it. Mate. Um, all I'd say is, and I might... Dip, I might be, this might be the same phrase as I came up with last time. So you'll have to listen back to the first part to see whether it was the same one. <laughs> the definition of insanity is repeating the same behavior again and again, expecting a different outcome. And the only time that I could change my attitude, change my behavior and get out of addiction was by doing that, was basically by doing something different and then when i did something different the outcome changed well matt thank you as always and we will be doing it again um good luck with everything you're doing brother and that's from bet no more uk if you've got a gambling problem and i hope everyone's learned something go back and listen to his first episode they're brilliant so guys until we see each other next time I want you all to take care of yourselves and each other to bit. And that's a wrap for another show. But if there are any comments or messages that you'd like us to read out for our next podcast, please be in touch. There are also lots of different organisations at the bottom of this page and hopefully they can help you or someone you care about. Please share this to spread the word. Until we talk next time.